Great. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's good to see you um, and to share with you in service today. Um, the uh, notes I received and encouragements, I'm just grateful for them. I'm grateful that we are family and uh, we have the opportunity to worship God together. So let's group the Lord in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you so much that you are the giver and sustainer of life. We thank you that you have equipped and empowered us to proclaim the kingdom in, with our words and in the way that we live. And we just, Lord, just greet you this day on this Sunday morning that, and say that this is the day that you have made. We are glad and we rejoice in it, Lord God. And uh, we ask your blessing, Lord God, on um, what happens in our service today, that you would, Holy Spirit, unite our hearts. You are welcome. You are, I give you leadership and control. Have your way in the lives of your people in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. We're blessed to have our brother Keith back with us today, who's going to lead us in worship. So brother Keith, take it. Hi, uh, good morning, Mosaic. <clears throat> it's great to be with you again. I, uh, we're going to start this morning with a, a song that's dear to Angel and I's heart. We've led this in worship at a, a previous church that we both served in. I first learned it in, uh, when I sang with the Inner Strength Gospel Choir at Boston University many, many years ago. Uh, but it's a simple song. If you don't know it, uh, it'll be easy for you to... Uh, join in but simply starting our day by just giving uh, all glory and praise uh, to our good and gracious and all-powerful god amen so it goes like this <clears throat> hallelujah salvation and glory honor and power unto the lord our god for the lord our god is mighty and the Lord our God is omnipotent the Lord our God he is wonderful you can sing that with me hallelujah salvation and glory honor and power unto the Lord our God for the Lord our God is mighty and the Lord our God is omnipotent, the Lord our God, He is wonderful. Hallelujah, salvation and glory, honor and power unto the Lord our God. For the Lord our God is mighty, and the Lord our God the Lord our God, He is wonderful. One more time, sing with us. Hallelujah, salvation and glory, honor and power unto the Lord our God. For the Lord our God is mighty, and the Lord our God is omnipotent. Oh, 
things and more, all-powerful, omnipotent, you're glorious, you're worthy of our praise, and so we rejoice in your holy name this morning. We look to you for your incredible love, we look to you for grace over us, over all humanity, we look to you for power, we look to you for guidance and wisdom, we look to you for peace, peace in our hearts peace in our community, not peace that is silenced, uh, frustration, but peace that comes with justice and righteousness. We thank you this morning. We give you all glory and praise. Amen. <clears throat> this next song is a reminder of the promise that God gives us we talked about a few weeks ago his commitment to always be with us through whatever struggle and trial and his commitment that what he has started he will bring to completion sometimes we need that reminder church because sometimes it doesn't look like things are going to uh, work out sometimes it doesn't look like things are uh, going to uh, end well sometimes it doesn't look like we're going to be successful but yet god promises that uh Whoever is uh, for him, whoever is with him, then uh, he challenges who can be against, right? Who can be against us if we are with God? So this song is I Can't Give Up Now. And again, uh, hopefully you know it, but if not, just join in um, with us and let's sing this song together. There will be mountains I will have to climb. There will be battles that I will have to fight. But victory or defeat, it's up to me to decide. But how can I expect to win if I never try? I just
situation that as we go into this world to press against 
the forces of sin, the forces of evil, the forces that work to oppress humankind, that we can go in confidence and we can know that in every situation, even when it seems like we are weak, even like when it seems that we will be overcome, even though when it seems like we will fail, that we can continue to stand and press and push and work because we know you are with us and we know that you didn't bring us this far to leave us in the end, but that we will overcome with you, with the power of your, and presence of your spirit in our midst when we work together as the community of God, as the kingdom here on earth, that we will overcome, that we will uh, see victory in these spaces where sin has reigned for too long. So we thank you, God, for that promise. We thank you for that power. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to do one more song leading into Pastor Angel's sermon. Uh, just simply, it's called It's a New Season. It's another simple chorus. Uh, don't feel like you need to sing the verses. They're a little tricky, but it's simply this idea that we are entering into a new season. Pastor Angel and I have talked, and it's not always clear what that season is going to be, but I want to say to you, Mosaic, that um, while I've wept many tears over the last few weeks um, over what I've seen, over the painful things that have happened in our community, in our communities, um, there's also a glimmer of hope in that uh, I'm starting to have conversations with people who haven't wanted to have conversations about race and racial reconciliation. I'm starting to have people be curious and want to enter into conversations with me that haven't wanted to have conversations. I've had people start asking me questions who previously said, I don't see why race is a problem or why we need to talk about it. And so I do think that uh, despite the challenges that there is a new opportunity, a new season that we're entering into, and we need to just continue to be prayerful that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what it is God is doing and how he wants to use us uh, in this season for his purpose. We can't just be who we were. We've got to uh, listen to God's spirit, and we've got to allow ourselves to be something new, to do this new work uh, in this new time. Amen? Sorry, I didn't mean to preach. <clears throat> song goes like this. It's a new season. It's a new day. A fresh anointing is flowing my way. It's a season of power and prosperity. It's a new season. with me church it's a new season it's a new day a fresh anointing is flowing my way it's a season of power and prosperity it's a new season coming to me one more time
those times up no longer can he bother me Cause the creator of the universe, he follows me And it's transferable, my children's children shall be free It's a new season, it's a new season If you don't know by now, you need to know it's Jubilee Where debts are canceled and your children walk in victory It's so available to you right now, just taste and see It's a new season, sing with me It's a new season Thank you so much. Um, I needed to hear that. Um, songs from my, uh, my church experience um, are particularly nurturing and healing for me today. And so thank you, Keith, for, uh, for providing those for us. Before I get started, I want to just ask people to hang around after the service. Today we're having our meet and greet with our counts, church council nominees. And we want um, to give people an opportunity just to hear a little bit uh, from them about themselves. Um, any questions that you may have for them or for the church council, you'll be free to ask. So if you would be so kind to just stick around, we won't, we won't be very long with this, but it's part of the process that we need to take as we move forward um, and bringing new members on um, and as people step off um, and as I said, uh, last week, maybe two weeks ago, Judy has stepped down from the, the council or is stepping down. And uh, we, uh, we want to just add as people are slowly um, trickling off. And so the next person will be Brianna in a few months and then um, we'll be stable for a little while. Um, so again, please stay. All right. Today's sermon is... Uh, 
I call it what's next, but I want to do a bit of a review about last week because I need to pull them together. Uh, oops, wait a minute. I missed something. I'm supposed to ask Emily if she would lead us in prayer today. So, caught it. Caught it. Yay. Good morning, Mosaic. It's good to be with you all after this um, hard week. And I think um, we are all coming today with a lot on our hearts and our minds. So um, we want to pray together. I'm going to just take um, a few minutes to facilitate some moments of silence for um, individual prayer and listening. And then I'll just end our time with um, a corporate prayer. So to start, um, I was just thinking this morning that sometimes it's helpful to pray with our bodies. So feel free now if you want to get in a position that feels right to you, if that's like kneeling or standing, lifting your hands, um, whatever that um, is to you and however you, whatever you wanna to say to God um, with your body. So we can take a moment um, to do that and I will begin the prayer, leave a few moments of silence and then I'll end us together with a group prayer. So let's pray. Oh God, we are here today because we want to be with you and we need you and we need each other. Thank you that you want to be with us and that you are here now. Make us aware of your presence. We all come today carrying something or many things. Thank you that we can come as we are and say whatever it is we need to say or whatever it is we feel. Anger, grief, fear, pain, confusion, shame, hope, desire. In this moment of silence, we express those to you now. And we know that you are a God who is not far off. You are in it all with us. You are the God who speaks and lives. So in the silence, what do you want to say to our hearts? Help us to hear you. God, our Father, God, our Mother, Spirit, you are our advocate, our comforter, and we need you. Thank you that you are always with us. You go out with us in protest. You sit with us in the wrestling and questions. You bear witness to the pain and to the repeated injustice suffered by your people of color in this country. Jesus, you are our good shepherd. Guide us now. Show us, Mosaic Community Church, the way forward toward justice, righteousness, and true liberty. Help us to move with your spirit of love and power and to respond with courage to the work you are inviting us to individually and as a community that seeks to know you and reflect you in our city. We bless Angel, Jamie, Melissa, the Church Council, and all who lead at Mosaic with grace, 
peace, wisdom, and creative vision. And we pray for the leaders of our communities, our city and nation, that they would listen and act from love with wisdom toward justice. Thank you, God, that you can take a small mustard seed and grow it into a huge tree. That just a little bit of yeast can invade the whole dough so that the bread rises. May your kingdom come. Amen. Um, thank you, Emily. Um, again, we've had another full week with many protests and many um, images of um, injustice and pain that have been a shock to our systems in some ways and to our psyches and um, coming together in prayer is uh, what we need in times like these um, that the Lord would speak to us and bring comfort and healing. Um, I found myself through much of the week just not having much to say and being spellbound. Um, I laugh because I say to the Lord, I preach, I keep preaching hope and that's what I hope I preach, you know, but um, I find that in this week, I need somebody to preach hope to me. <laughs> um, and so we all cycle through all of that and it's normal. Um, and God is able to take us through. And so um, we journey on today. Um, this week, or should I say last week, we celebrated um, Pentecost. And I spoke of how the spirit visibly rested on those in the upper room um, in Acts 2 and how the spirit rested on them and enabled them, and then they spoke. And I explained last week that I was angry about a few things, about how um, we treat the spirit, the abiding presence of God as, a, um, as individuals and as uh, a collective, you know, sometimes like God in a box, um, and get concerned about how we preach Pentecost um, as, the release of gifts, but not focused on just who the spirit is in our life and the intimacy uh, that we have or we can have. I shared about uh, the talking heads of power in our country who always seem to tout how this is a Christian nation and yet their actions show me, maybe you too, that they are people who may have the spirit, but evidence suggests that God is locked inside them, imprisoned and not allowed to partner with them in life. That suggests to me that God remains marginalized even within the Christian community. Marginalized. I mean, that means, you know, the word marginalized itself means a person or a group or a concept that's been treated as if it's insignificant or peripheral or on the outside. How can God be insignificant, insignificant to God's own movement? How can God be peripheral to the Christian faith? Isn't that a good question? How can God be insignificant?
to this movement that he started, bringing about the kingdom of earth where every nation, every tribe, every language before will be before God or is before God, offering our gifts of praise and acknowledging that God is at the center of it all. How can God, who is at the center of it all, be marginalized at the same time? But even more so, how can God be marginalized within believers who are called to proclaim the kingdom of God? I have two very simple answers to that. I just pray you, you'll, you'll hear me. God has never forced God's self on anybody. This thing we know, God doesn't force God's self on people. But we have this scripture, and there are many, but I want to focus on this one, found in the Gospel of John, the first chapter and the 12th verse. And it says, but to all who believed him and accepted him or received him, he gave the right or the power to become the children of God. The answer to the question of how can God be marginalized or made insignificant in his own movement can be found in this verse. Um, it simply is we haven't received all of God. Some of us only receive a, a, a sense or an aspect of God, that, that part of God, we acknowledge that God is real and died for our sins, but we keep it right there because we want a type of fire insurance, you know? We want a, a security after death bond that we hold on to. But there's more to those who receive him or to receive, then this was talking about Christ. He gave something. He gave that, that something was a second part of the answer to the question. He gave the power to become the children of God. So first we had to be able to receive him and we need to receive him in fullness. And then the power to become is what he gave us, the power to begin, to begin our journey, becoming the children of God. God is marginalized when we don't begin our journey or we stop in the midst of our journey. It gets tiring, it costs too much, and we pull on the trappings of religion, which is our attempt to reach God. But God breaks through our attempts to give a full revelation of who God is, that we can worship God in spirit and truth. But things get hard and we like our culture and we like our position and we like our power. And so we stop our journey right where it is. And there are fortunately enough, are enough religious things we can do to make us look like we're really Christian and really working for God. But we're stagnant. We become a people who feel entitled to the things of God, the trappings, the possessions, these things we, we call and label a part of our salvation, which you and I know is about the restoration, the jubilee, the restoring of, of all of us to relationship with God and with ourselves and with one another and with all of creation. But others feel like, again, it's a ticket to security after death, a ticket to heaven. And since that is all folks want, that's all they receive. They don't need the one who provides it, except to keep calling God's name. Like God is like a sponsor at a baseball game who wants to hear their name repeated over and over again. And that, you know, fulfills the obligation uh, in selling the product. You know, go to church. You too can have security after death insurance. 
but it doesn't satisfy God and it's not a part of what God has called us to. God has called us to a discovery, a journey of deep intimacy with God and to deepen our relationships with ourselves and with one another and with the rest of creation. We don't stress this or highlight it in our teachings. We focus on rules that imply that God is a gotcha God or God, you know, practices exclusion. People, you know, may have a problem with what I'm saying because you may think, as you're saying that people uh, aren't saved or lose their salvation, I'm just saying that when we look at what's happening, the Lord said, told us to judge things by the fruit and the fruit that is before us. I don't know about people's salvation, but I know when I see people who are tempting and doing the struggle to live a life that is pleasing to God, that lives a life that is listening to the spirit and moving by the power of the spirit. And in what we see in our country today, in what we've experienced and what some of us have experienced all our lives from the church as Black people, or African-American people, as women, as Asian people, as whatever, queer folks. We know we've experienced something that's, that is not like God. And we can call it that. And we have to call it that. It's not like God. And yeah, it can get you into a whole bunch of trouble. But sometimes, you know, I go between, I can get in trouble for saying the things that I really believe the Lord is telling me to say. And I can get in trouble with the people who have to hear it. Or I can get and feel like I have a, I'm in trouble with God because I didn't say the things that God really wanted me to say that were pressed on my spirit. I got caught. I get caught in where I am positionally and wanting to protect it. And I have to go look for the boldness to speak. But he empowered me like he did those people in Pentecost. And then they spoke. And therefore, I have to. And you have to. Because here's the deal. You and I don't have a cheap or artificial grace to offer anyone. We share what God is teaching us, what God has taught us. How can God be treated as insignificant to God's own movement? God is treated as, as insignificant when we've, we've gotten what we want and we don't need to partner with God anymore. We, we say things like, you can't lose your salvation, but we're focused on the wrong thing. There's no ticket. It's not about a ticket to security, but the, but the relationship. I said in church when we were in the building time and time again, I don't worry about what happens after I die because I know wherever God is, there I'll be. I am assured of that because of the relationship. I'm assured that the grave could not hold Jesus because of the relationship that the Trinity had with one another. The very power of the grave couldn't keep him down and therefore the power of the grave cannot hold you and I. Where God is, we will be. John 16, 13 says, when the spirit comes, the spirit will guide you into all truth. The spirit will not speak on the spirits of the spirit's own, but will teach you what the spirit has heard. The spirit will teach you about the future. 
1 John 2.27 says, but we have received the Holy Spirit and the Spirit lives within you and me. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know and what the Spirit teaches is true. It's not a lie. So just as the Spirit has taught you, remain in fellowship with God. Verse 28, and now dear children, Remain in fellowship with Christ so that when Christ returns, you will have full courage and not shrink back in shame. We were given power to become the children of God, to become, to be instructed, to remain in fellowship, learning from the Spirit. We are to begin and continue in the journey that God's children are called to, to proclaim and give birth to a sustained inbreaking of the spirit until God's will of love, peace, and justice is done on the earth as it is done in heaven. Last week, I spoke of God demonstrating God's care intimately by enabling those back in Acts during Pentecost who were once a broken portion of humanity, who were once broken in relationship. That's what I mean, broken away from God, who were now united with God again, speaking to those who are still estranged in their own language and calling them to be unified through Jesus. That unity requires approaching people from the same intimacy God displayed. It requires getting to know them in their context getting to know me in my context, getting to know you in your context. Because I can speak words to you and they uh, uh, seem like just very simple words, but given the context, they have very different meanings. And unless you take the time to know me, you won't understand that you're either speaking around or outside of my experience, that you were sounding as if you were speaking above me, or that, I don't know, it became insulting in some way. So last, so that was last week, and I and I want to hold us us to hold on to the thought that God of God being marginalized, God being marginalized, placed on the periphery. I want us to hold on to the thought of why is God marginalized? By whom is God marginalized? So who? And where do we go from here? So I draw our attention to the book of Acts because it's going to help us. I believe our comforter and our guide wants to use um, the what's next that followed in the story of Pentecost to give us instruction on what's next for this movement for our nation and for our Christian story. What's next? Um, Andrew, if you show that, that slide of the, the crowd, it's kind of like the introductory slide. Yeah, that one. What's next? Where are we, where are we going? I saw this image of people walking and thought, yep, you can see that they're moving. They seem to be headed in a particular, to a particular destination, but there's this big question mark. Where, where are they going? It's funny how we work so hard to get people's attention as, as people of color, people who fight for justice, 
to get people to pay attention. We've been waiting so long for change. We've been wanting change, demanding change. Um, we make lists about the things that we want and need that, that will demonstrate change. We've lived so long with so many hopes and so many dreams and so many images of our past and our present pain. We have talked it out. We have workshopped it out. We have seminared it out um, about our need to grow, to improve communication, to understand each other so we can talk about race in America. And now we have a moment when folks are paying attention and we need to know, I need to figure out what to say to you about what's next so we can have more moments to explore the possibilities. And that feels like a lot of responsibility, a lot of responsibility for me, a lot of responsibility for you. But it's ours and we have to, again, it's our time, it's our season. Now people are listening. Now we need to have something to say. People want to know, thanks Andrew, you can go back. People want to know what they can do to bring about change. I imagine some similarities with the folks that were that had waited for the Messiah. They waited and hoped and talked about and expected and he came and it didn't quite turn out as they expected because he came and then he left and then he empowered them with the spirit and then they were left to consult their guide, the Holy Spirit, and they had questions, what's next? So I'm glad we have the scripture. Some people believe that the scripture covers every issue of life. People say that all the time. Every issue of life is covered in the scripture. I'm like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. I don't think there every specific issue of life is covered in the scripture. But I believe that there are guides within the scripture that, that speak to us and give us wisdom and knowledge and uh, a pathway to move. I believe that um, for us in facing this new uncertainty, there is hopefulness that things will change, but there's an uncertainty about what and when. The nation is accepting the reality of racism in a way that, um, in the way that we're policed today. But I have to ask, I find myself asking, will my white brothers and sisters wake up to the truth that the racist or of, of the racist origins of American law enforcement, that our system is anchored um, in area patrols or slave patrols who are hired to protect property owned by white people, including human beings that were said to be the property of those white owners. That they advanced this, this, this notion of policing, this way we police. Um, to become slave from becoming slave patrols of white volunteers who who enforced laws regarding slavery um, that included uh, when someone escaped the bondage that they were in that they would go out and hunt them down and bring them back or if there was some type of rebellion that i call a liberation movement you know people call it revolts and rebellions when it's against you but when it's for freedom you know we talk about liberty like when we talk about how America started. Give me liberty or give me death. So the victors seem to be right, you know. These groups became more organized and formed our municipal police departments of white men 
whose job it was to crush disorder. And this disorder was found in, according to them, in their thinking, where it was needed was in the African-American communities, in the immigrant communities, in the poor communities. And their focus there with their violent intent to, to give violence, to break down disorder. And that's what we've seen, violence coming in to, to, to stop what others interpret as disorder or rebellion. But we're here at this place where we're waking up to this history of policing. As we're waking up to this history of policing, though, we have to wake up that it's not just about police officers today. It is about systemic racism. That systems in this country were established to favor whites, and more so whites who are property owners. And that favor continues today. So what do we do to foster an understanding or a deep understanding that racism is in the DNA of America? That is a building block, that it's a building block to our society that must be rooted out. How do we start working on solutions? Where do we start? What issues are we to address first then second? And what comes next? Or do we have a multi-pronged approach to dealing with many issues? Uh, to, to deal with racism? Do we deal with the housing, racism and housing, education, transportation? Um, as my dear brother Keith would note that, you know, our train system stops in Thorndale and doesn't go all the way to Coatesville anymore. It used to. And how those folks are cut off in transportation and cut off from resources. What's the role of the church in this effort? These are, there are specific questions and specific calls to action. Is the action making new policies and laws? Is it defunding police and other programs and funding community programs? All of these things will help make us a bit safer. They will ease some of the tension. But will they really make change? We can get new laws. We can put boundaries on the police officers. We can do a lot of things. But will it make real change? You see, what happened is the police got caught being racist. Now, when you get caught, that doesn't mean there's repentance. Um, it's not turning from a practice or a mindset behind a practice. It's just folks getting caught. You know that what happens when we get caught? We try to figure out a way not to get caught next time I do it. Um, that was a slip in the system. So we figure out ways to make the system look different while delivering the same benefit to those in power or delivering the same benefit to me personally. People just got caught. Police, people wearing police uniforms, They've gotten caught over and over and over again. And the accumulation of the incidents has shocked the delicate sensibilities of some of our white brothers and sisters as a nation. It's made white people uncomfortable with what's being revealed about the whiteness of our system. I've learned in life that one of the things that is really dangerous 
to marginalized groups is when white people feel uncomfortable. When the equilibrium or what they think is equilibrium is thrown off and the carefully constructed illusion of equality, of colorblindness, no longer holds up under scrutiny. And what often happens is people rise up, but they rise up to restore comfort, not necessarily to change things. Comfort and true change to systemic ills are two entirely different things. But folks will change a little bit to bring back comfort and swear that the change is deep and meaningful. We saw this in the civil rights movement. It disturbed the sensibilities of, of white men and women. They did not want to be those kinds of people, but the images made it clear. Everyone saw the same thing at the same time. It could be, it, it could be called out. No one could say that black people were exaggerating their treatment. No one could deny the depths of the violence enacted against faces that didn't look like theirs, with people who had their hands raised, or who never raised their hands, excuse me, to defend themselves against the violence that came at them. It indicted the system, and then it indicted white folks for their silence, and something had to be done. But this is what I mean. Listen, here we are again. So we had that powerful movement. There was the Civil Rights Act, act, not law, you see, because, you know, we couldn't really make it a law because it would change, that would mean meaningful change instead of an act that needs to be renewed periodically. So here we are, and we're facing the same things today, policing in America leading to deaths of individuals who aren't or couldn't defend themselves. We are still in the same moment. Did anything change except some people figured out how to make things look like, look a little more pleasant and restore comfortability while bringing about the same benefits to whites and those in power. Please understand that whites and those in power are not the same thing, but that gets into to the complexities of the issues that we're dealing with. And today's sermon is not for that, but it's not the same thing. But unfortunately, far too middle and lower class, too many white middle and lower class Americans think that it is. She so say, Pastor, are you saying the actions we're demanding are a waste of time? I'm not saying that. They represent steps, some progress. But what I'm saying is, even though it does represent progress, let's not be deceived. Folks got caught again. This is what happened. People got caught on tape and people are appalled. But when people get caught, they become better thieves. When white folks get uncomfortable um, in the images that are presented of themselves, they work to make some things happen to improve the image. And it's time, you know, they kind of say it's time to, to Photoshop society and get the blemishes off so we can look better. They've been embarrassed within our country, embarrassed abroad, and feel like something's got to change. We got to get better at this. This might be hard to hear, and it may feel like that somehow I'm against somebody, but I'm not. 
because it is a, 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 the pollution in the air is racism. We breathe it in every day. And you could be the most wonderful person on the face of the earth, but still, as someone who is white, you benefit by a system that is unjust. And we need to tear that down. It's hard because it, 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 you may feel like it says that maybe I don't think you're as genuine, that I don't think you're doing everything that you know to do to bring justice about and to be different. It sucks because I see you and I am cheering the words that I read on social media. I am cheering the conversations that I have. They bring me to tears with folks that I've had in the last week. I want to hope because there's now this big, huge mirror that's put up in front of all of us and something has to be changed. But I have this deep rooted fear, suspicion, history knowledge that says, again, people got caught. It went on blast. People don't like the image that it reflects. We've seen it periodically through history. And so we change the image without really changing the heart. You see, that's the problem. People are looking at what's been up in America forever. Some people are seeing it in depth for the first time. And they're genuine apologies. But the apologies come from the depth of the understanding that folks currently have. And in part, that's the problem. It's just, you know, the depth of our understanding, your understanding as a, as a, a, a white person that you have of the system and how they oppress people of color or queer folk or Asian folks or Latinx folks or poor fat folks. It's just based on the depth of your understanding and white people remain at the center. And to gain true understanding, white people have to move off the center and place people of color, African-Americans there so they can get a full 360 view of what's going on. Someone I know said to me in this past week, and wrote it on Facebook, you know, I don't see color. And um, I love this person dearly. Um, and I tried to explain why, you know, that was a problem. Because in saying they don't, they choose not to see color. Then they're also choosing not to see the impact that systemic racism has on me. And I'm serious when I say, don't tell me you love me when you don't see all of me and what I'm going through. I don't need any more false love in my life. Got enough of that, had enough of that. Don't want any more of that. The depth of people's understanding is limited. It's influenced by the pollution of racism, sexism, queer phobia, and individualism that plagues us. And yes, right now we're in a season to speak of the issues facing 
African Americans. And of course, I get that. I'm not trying to, to take the focus off of African Americans because look, I'm, I'm African American. I want change. I told you before, there is, it's like we have these two ends, black people, white people, and folks in the middle. And people have said over and over again, at least I'm not black. Well, I am, and I need change. And it's just the reality, you know, that marginalized groups are facing violence day in and day out, our bodies, against our bodies, against our minds. And I got to work hard. You know, I'm, I'm trying to work hard right now to stay on point. I ask you to keep in mind the question, how can God be marginalized from God's own kingdom movement? And I explained a couple of things. It's from not receiving him or receiving a portion of him that gives me security. Again, it centers us and not God. And because we begin a journey and stop sometimes. We begin a journey, and when the questions arise, because you and I, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is convicting, but somehow we manage to ignore the conviction that the Holy Spirit is giving us and ignore the instruction that the Holy Spirit is giving. I, you know, I'm nobody special, but I am. I know I'm special, but I'm nobody special in that God is not dealing with me in a, in, in a unique way with, 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 with a, a revelations of God's self that God won't give anybody else. That's not true. And so the way I know that God speaks to me and the way that it's been verified in my life and in groups and in seasons and in activities, God wants to speak to everybody in the same way. So why am I hearing one thing and folks are acting another way that's contrary to what I'm hearing and contrary to what I'm reading? That journey. He gave us the power to become the children of God and there's work to do. So we hold this. God's marginalized because we won't do our work. God's marginalized because we want something from him, but we don't want to hear what God wants from us. So the question for today's sermon, what's next? I want to talk about that. And the position that we, or situation we find ourselves in with the police and a little bit about policing history, um, I spoke to you about that already. The situation we find ourselves in a little bit about policing history, um, what it means uh, when we get caught that we become better thieves, and a little bit about white comfort. This is my effort to make a point about what's next for us as a church, that I'm talking about these things. Maybe a better way of, um, of saying it might be, what do we need or what's the role church folks should play right now? Or um, how do we lead so this doesn't uh, feel like or become, will we find new ways to restore white comfort instead of finding within us all the image of God? The ultimate goal is not to be a nice white person. I know plenty of nice white people. It's not to have nice white kids. The goal, no matter who we are, gay, straight, non-binary, male, female, whatever race we are, and as 
followers of Jesus, as people who've placed Jesus at the center. Our goal is sustaining the inbreaking of God's spirit. All that God, all that, the stuff that Jesus talked about in the red letters, we want that to happen on the regular. So what's next? Here's the guide from scripture that we have. In Acts, uh, Andrew, if you'll put that up, in Acts 2, verse 42 through 47, it says, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were, who were being saved. So for us, the question of what's next as a Christian community, that's where my focus is right now with, with you and I. We need to learn again or anew to devote ourselves to being a learning community. The depth of our current understanding is not enough. We've just got to admit it. And it's not just with mere words, but with action. We have to grow, which means we, have, we must educate ourselves. We must educate ourselves regarding what the scripture is teaching us about our relationships with one another. And not keep rehashing the children's stories, the way that, that the stories are told to children. Because there's deeper meaning to them. We must understand that no one is responsible for our education except us. Your education is not my responsibility. You may say, oh yeah, you're pastor, so therefore you must. I present and issue invitations to learn, but I can't make you learn. And for you to have the mindset somehow that I owe this to you, it doesn't work that way. Number two, we must be devoted to fellowship. We must nourish a warmth, honesty, openness, healing, redeeming fellowship, a relationship based on our common life together and our common goal, which is to bring, to allow the inbreaking of the kingdom of God through us. That means we must educate ourselves about one another and what is needed to foster warmth and honesty and openness and redemption and healing today, now. And the depth of our under, for the depth of our understanding is not enough. We have to be committed to educating ourselves on the issues of today if we want real change. Because if we don't, it's just going to be do enough that allows white people to be comfortable again with the image of themselves and allow our children to fight this fight later while they're fighting even more so with global warming and while they're fighting with a ton of other issues because we didn't do our job. So that means you and I gotta, you gotta stop being lazy. I wanna go back up to the scripture. One more time, Andrew, put that scripture up. Here's a deal with this, with this scripture. Verse 
Um, 44 says, and the believers were together and they had everything in common and they sold property and possessions to give one another who had need. When we read these scriptures, we have this image of our, in, in our heads that everybody sold off everything and they had a common kitty and they put it in. But in this case, this is not that. This mean, this scripture right here is talking about how people were so valued that as situations arose within the, 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 the congregation, within the group gathered, as situations rose up, people would take the initiative to sell off something so that their brother or sister's need would be met because they valued them so much and they had resources to give to alleviate that need. That sounds manageable. That sounds reasonable. That sounds like something we can do. And they did it. These are the lessons that the scriptures teach us when we study them to learn. Often we want to go off to action, and action was needed in the protests. I thank God for everybody who went out and marched and, and, and because it had to happen, because those in power needed to see the unrest and that we're tired of it. But we jump to action so quick, again, that it makes us feel better and think things are better. But you and I both know or all know that this is a question of the heart. And so while it's important for us to take action, we have to do the work, the work that makes us change hearts. We have to do the work of evangelism in our own hearts first. Be evangelists and then take action. And then we'll be like Paul and John, Peter and John in the third chapter of Acts, where they were going through the gate called Beautiful, where there was an old beggar who was there and had been there for years begging. He was in a place in the temple where, where beggars were, where people who had sickness and illness were, where women were. He was in this place that was like the marginalized land, where people who, women, and, and anyone who's not allowed to enter the temple wasn't whole, who wasn't male, who wasn't established. He was at the, on the outside, like the Hebrews 13 that I talked about last week and how Christ was, was taken outside the gate and crucified. But there, everyone can find him who's been marginalized. So it's fitting that God is marginalized in some way because it requires a complete commitment to follow him. It requires a wholehearted effort to actually follow and do what he asks us to do. And I know I'm preaching a long time, but these things are important. And I want to teach us the scripture so we can see it. We have a responsibility to educate ourselves, and we have to do it. We have a responsibility to act in prayer and pray for one another. We did it today. We will keep on doing it. We have a responsibility to nourish one another, to continue those phone calls of encouragement, support, um, and, and just joy and fellowship. We have a responsibility. But we're also going to do some practical things. So I'm just very thrilled to, to let you all know that we are going to make a donation to the Enterprise Center. When our church was uh, was raising money to get the property that's now on 51st Street, we had a fund and it was called the building it together fund and many grants were given to people and in, in, in schools in the community to help them build and take care of needs and we have about twenty six thousand dollars left in that fund and so from that twenty six thousand dollars we're going to take five thousand and give to the enterprise 
Center. We always have a plan to use some of those funds to do uh, the trees up and down our street. But the next thing we're gonna do is invite you. We're gonna get a group of you all together to lead the way in deciding where the rest of the money goes because we wanna give it all the way. It is so clear that now is the time and the Lord had us have this, these funds available so we could meet needs in our community. And I praise God, the willingness. I mean, everybody was just like, yes, this is what we need to do. And now is the time. So we give glory to God for that. And we take this action. The next thing we have, Jenny Schultz contacted us and she said, you know what? We don't have a library, an anti-racist library. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And guess what? We don't have any queer literature either. And so we're going to build a library that has this literature that we, you and I can exchange books and things with. And so the details for that will be forthcoming. And if anybody wants to work with Jenny to do that, hallelujah, please do it. The next thing is that we have to think about our, our, our economics. You see, we can protest, but, but in the civil rights movement, they did two things. They had the protest, and then they had an economic thing that they did. And so I want you all to be conscious. This might be a little bit harder, but I want us to put our money, not just as a church, but you individually, I want you to consider this, into Black-owned businesses. Because when we focus on Black-owned businesses, that means other businesses aren't getting it. We're not mad at them. We just need them to speak up. And economics is power. And we have power. We give over $4 billion a year as a Black community. Think about it. Once we add to our numbers those who, uh, who are, who are a, other people of color and white people, people will listen when we use our economics. So think about where you're going to eat and think about going to a Black restaurant and using Black resources and using Black stores and helping rebuild our community by allowing our dollars to stay in West Philly so it can build back up after COVID and after the protests. And then um, lastly, um, I want you to help me and help other people of color build good relationships. I had to tell Jim, you know, this week, I said, you know what? I've had a lot of relationships with, with uh, white people and uh, they were here and we talked about race issues and we really did the work. And I found out, you know, that they were white. They were here today and they were white tomorrow. And when things got rough, they left. And we need to see that you, we really are family. And you're going to stick this out and stay with us till the end. Um, we really need to see evidence and hear evidence. And it, it may seem unfair, but so many people have let us down. We just need to see it over and over and over again. I tell you guys, keep is my ride or die. And that's because we spent 40 years, I mean, 24 years getting to know each other. Um, we just need to know. So may God bless you as I've rambled. <laughs> but I pray that in there there was something worth hearing. Um, and something that gave glory to God, that encouraged us, that may have shocked us and we didn't want to hear it. But God is able to enable us to deal with it and to speak as a community. God bless you. Keith. Hey, church. Our um, closing song is going to be Lean On Me by Bill Withers. Um, 
And I want to be clear, I'm not trying to create a, a kumbaya moment where we all feel good, um, which I know this song can sometimes around the campfire be used that way, but this is a song written by a black man, uh, uh, artist who we lost a few months ago, but a black man who understood that uh, just our need for each other, especially through difficult times. Um, I've heard from a lot of my uh, black brothers and sisters in this season of just the importance of white people speaking up, the importance of white people uh, doing the work alongside um, listening, learning, but also being willing to, to uh, step alongside and do the work. And so uh, let's uh, just sing this together as an affirmation that we are um, going, that we need each other as the church, but that we also are committed through these difficult seasons potentially that are ahead of us, that uh, we are committed and we're available to each other to be strength, to be support. Um, amen.
Lord, for um, this time that we've had together. We thank you for your blessing of uh, just safety to our congregation, to our building, in the midst of everything that's going on. We thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to be um, bold and knowledgeable in our boldness, that you can use us as instruments of your peace to bring a hurting world together. Um, I ask that you would convict each of our hearts on the role that we need to play and help us to understand that the resources, the resources that are available to us to fulfill what you're asking, um, we need you. We are leaning on you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are our comforter and our guide. And we're listening. We're listening. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or dare to think, according to the power that is in us, to you, God, be grace and mercy, love and power, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.